Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you be with us tonight as we would get around the Word of God. May it be encouraging to each and every one of us as we look into the things that we are tonight. Father, may you give me ability and may the ears be open and receptive and applied to what we have in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as you came tonight, let me ask you a question. And it's sort of a, a, a question to set an atmosphere for the message did you come to get something, or did you come? Are you looking for something tonight? And I don't mean like you're, like you're longing for this brand new, you know, something or another, I'm searching deep. But did you come to have the Lord give you something tonight? Uh, I think when we come in that expectation spirit that God meets us there. But so many times we, we come in a, oh, like a cow walks into the same stall over and over again. We don't even think about it anymore. But let's put our expectation spirit on, okay? Let's, let's ask God, please speak to our hearts tonight as we, as we come together. Okay, First Timothy, we know Timothy is what we would call Paul's son in the faith. And I, I think most of us know that as a young preacher boy. And First and Second Timothy are written to this young man how he could be a good pastor or a good spiritual leader. And so tonight, we want to take out of 1 Timothy some things that will help us be a good testimony, a good leader, how to make an impact, how to make a difference in our world, our family, our church. What are the keys? And tonight, I think some of those keys are at the beginning, at the end of the book of 1 Timothy. Look, if you will, it says in verse 3, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. So I ask you to stay behind, Timothy, at Ephesus, when I went to Macedonia, that thou, and here's what he was told to do, might charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither to give heed to fables and endless genealogies and etc. So he was given a job, and his job was very clearly this. You were charged. And the idea is charged there is you were like somebody has left behind a responsibility. You have been charged. I left you behind, and you are responsible to do something very specific. You know, often I think of why did God put you and me in particular places? You know, he put me here at Westside and Katie for, you know, I could have been in Seattle. I could have been in Chicago. I could have been out in the middle of, you know, the smallest podunk center. God put me where he wanted me to put me. And I'm thinking as a pastor. But, you know, God put you where you belong to. He puts you where you work. He puts you on your street. He puts you in your family. He puts you here in Houston. A lot of you used to live elsewhere. But God has positioned you. And could I say, then God has given us all a charge. We all have a responsibility on lots of different levels. So Paul says, I, I, uh, the Lord has given us a charge, and, but in his particular case is that they teach no other doctrine. Now, the idea isn't there that they only, not only just teach just the words, like you can't teach any other words, but the idea of other, there's two different words for other, and this word is the kind of, when you say other kind, that you don't bring any other kind of doctrine in and teach it. 
And, you know, when we have received the word of God, there's a lot of things that we can do to understand and amplify and like a, like a flower uh, grows and, and we might express it differently than exactly it was written right here by Paul. But then there's a different rose altogether. Paul says, I charge you, Timothy, to make sure that they aren't bringing what we would say is a different kind or a strange doctrine. And in my decades, that I, as I came into the ministry, the strange doctrine that was showing up was the charismatic movement. And I can remember, uh, those that are old enough to remember, there was Explo 72, there was Key 73. These were major big things. They went down to the Superdome and filled the Superdome in New Orleans with all these charismatic people. There was Methodists and there was Baptists and there was Catholics and they were all holding hands and they were all speaking in tongues. And this made it so they all could come together and this charismatic tongue speaking thing was another kind of doctrine that has drifted into the church. And can I tell you, now it's accepted by a lot of the mainstream, just like, it's just like another doctrine in the, in, in the doctrine book. It is strange fire. It is wrong the way that they're teaching. It's not correct. And the Bible says that Timothy was given the charge that when these kind of things were trying to be brought in by some of these, these early preachers and teachers, that he was given a charge to keep that doctrine straight. And you know, you and I have a, uh, have a responsibility that when it's the Word of God, when it's the doctrine of the Word of God, that we're to stand up for the Word of God and not, not to just say, oh, well, that's what you believe. It's what the Word of God teaches that we stand for, and I know that we know that. So that's what he's, he's given that charge. Look on again, please, if you will, in verse uh, 5. Now, he's going to say, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers, and it talks about how they become wrong kinds of teachers. So here I would say that we have three sort of like stars in the sky if you're a sailor and you're trying to fix your chart and where am I? You get your sextant out and you have these, there's three things that he particularly, and you might say a fourth thing that he's going to say, you want to keep yourself on course and you're going to look to these three positions, these four positions, or you might say they're touchstones that will keep us as we're serving God so that we'll do the work of God effectively. Let's look at those touchstones, please. He said the end of the commandment is, first of all, it, it flows out of charity, true love. You know, it's real easy for us to have the wrong motive or the wrong operating system as we begin to try to help other people and minister. And true love gives and doesn't expect anything back. True love wants for the best of the other person. The true love will die on uh, for itself to help the other live. He says, out of this operating system of love, there's where we would start. You know, sometimes Christians get into, um, and we're going to talk about this in a while, you get into defending the faith, and instead of out of a loving heart to help somebody else, it's more out of a mental, I'm going to show you I'm right. It's not out of love. It's out of 
self-motivation, love for me, love for intellect, love, love for pride, love, the wrong kind of love. So he says we need to operate in the right realm. And that realm is always love. You know, if we had time tonight, we would just go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and just read it real quick. But let's remember the last verse of 1 Corinthians 13. Now we have faith, hope, charity, or love. But the greatest of all of the things is, is love. It's charity, just like a talk. This is the realm that we operate on, and if we move out of that realm, we get into a realm where Satan can really take us to task, and we can't really be accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. So let's go on, please. He says that the commandment is a, a commandment, charity out of, notice for, for, first of all, a pure heart. And that word pure there is a heart that's been made clean, clear, and pure. There are a lot of things that can affect a heart. There could be a, uh, malice. There could be bitterness. There could be anger. And let's think, we're talking about war in a war here. And we come after trying to be a benefit to somebody, straighten up their doctrine. He says, Timothy, make sure your heart not only is in, stays in love, but it's a pure heart. And often when you think of this idea of heart, it has the idea of your feelings, your mind, your thoughts, your motives. Boy, he had a, his heart, you know, I think his heart was different than my heart. I think he had a different mind. I think this person was going after things in a way that wasn't, it wasn't a right way to go after it. And so he says, you've got to stay pure in your motives. You've got to stay pure in your heart. You've got, you cannot, when you're not clean and you're not pure, in your motives. So that's the first thing. Look on second of all, he says, and of a good conscience. Notice the idea of good there is the idea uh, the quality of your conscience is that it's good. What is the conscience here? A lot of the commentators that I was just looking at this week, they often, this is your, your own morals. It's hard to be straightening somebody else on when you know that behind the curtain, you're not a good person. This is the person that's trying to witness or talk to somebody about doctrine, but they're way over here, um, they're on the internet looking at pornography all the time. Maybe this is the person that's trying to be a Sunday school teacher, but they're committing adultery over here. This is the person that, that is trying to say, here's the standard of truth, but they're a liar. And so he talks about pure heart and a good conscience. It's awfully hard to be strong in battle, look the enemy in the eye spiritually and know you're guilty of what you're talking to them about. You have to have a good conscience. These are, in this era of love, the right motive, we have two pegs so far. We have motives that are pure. We have a life that is good or pure, that backs it up. And then let's look at the third thing that he talks about here in this, in this verse. And then he says, and of faith 
unfeigned. This is, a, I don't think, um, talking about like having faith to move mountains, that kind of thing, like I'm, I'm going to believe faith. This is talking about, I believe more, that what I say that I believe about the Word of God is genuine. Faith unfeigned. Um, one commentator put it this way, that I have convictions that are sincere. Let me tell you a couple stories. Um, several years ago, a man in our church, this has been like 30 years ago, he called me up and he said, Pastor, you know so-and-so and so-and-so. Yeah, I said, I know so-and-so. He said, um, do you realize that person is on TV right now on Channel 14? I know you don't usually, but I said, Pastor, I think you ought to watch him. He has been an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing evangelist, well-known all during the 1970s and 80s as one of the leading guys across the United States. And he's joining the charismatic movement. so he can. And he is on TBN tonight. And that TBN was a huge, big, um, charismatic station. And he is just spelling his bets about everything. And you won't believe what he's saying. So I went over and got the TV and turned it on just in time to hear him. His brother-in-law and his sister are well-known fundamentalists even to this day. And they were talking about, we used to believe like them. But all the time that I was traveling around the United States and I held conferences in Los Angeles and Chicago and Detroit and list all these different places, I never believed quite like they believed. I only said what I had to say to get in the door to be accepted to hold the meetings. He was saying this, right? I, I couldn't believe it. I, this man is a man. It'd be like Dr. Hodges saying this. I mean, you, you said, how in the world could a man like that uh, be accepted? He was selling a soul so he could, you know, go to the next rung up the TV ladder, you know, and, and take his ministry up. And uh, that man did not have faith unfeigned. You, you understand the word unfeigned, pretended? He did not have convictions that were real. He said what was acceptable by the group he was in, but his convictions were really not in the Word of God. So if I didn't go any further in the message tonight, if we just stopped, matter of fact, I almost thought about doing this tonight, is dividing the church into three different sections and have one group study, what does it take to have a pure heart? Another one, what to do to have a good conscience? Another one, how can I have my convictions, faith that's unfeigned? It would be worthy for all of us to go home tonight and really examine, am I a person that has the true motives in my heart? Is my heart pure in trying to be an encouragement? Am, 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 am I in the right spirit when I talk to people? Or am I a proud arguer? Am I, am I a person that's you know, not really trying to help out of a, a pure heart of love? I, I, I'm really just trying to assert my position. Am I that kind of person? Am I a person that tells other people, but I'm a two-faced, I'm a hypocrite? What is the, the number one thing that people talk to uh, you, you and I about why they don't go to church? Because you say one thing there and you're another thing elsewhere. And it takes all the strength and the wind right out of your sails. And it's worth preaching on tonight. And then this faith that's not pretended. What are your real convictions? And uh, I tell you, sometimes our convictions get tested when we're pressed to the corner, to the mat, aren't they? What do we really believe? And why do we believe it? 
Why do we hold those doctrines and those standards and those biblical positions where we're entrenched and we're battling? Timothy, this is the realm of your battle. As you go to help this this church in Ephesus, you're going to have to make sure a loving atmosphere, the right motives, the the right conscience, and you're going to have to have the right convictions as you fight that. So good for Timothy, but how about us? How real are your convictions? Where are your convictions based on? Are you the real deal? Or are, if we could pull back the curtains on what's happened in the month of November in your life when nobody else is around, what would we see? What would we really find out you to be? And are you a person that has the right kind of heart to do this? Or are you a person that's just got to be right? You know, that, these are very important things. Now, look at verse 6, please. On the basis of that... He says this, from which these three things I just preached, and from this atmosphere of love, from which some having swerved. Well, that idea of swerved there makes you look like a driver, doesn't it? Going down the road, and they see something in the road, or maybe they swerve, or, 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 or whatever reason, they got their eye on something over here, and next thing you know, they drift that direction. They've swerved. But the idea here is actually this. It's, it takes these two words, to miss what you're aiming at. You've missed what you're... So here's some people that are in the... They say they're a man like Timothy, that they're in the battle to you know, help the Lord's work and all the rest, but they're miss, they've swerved and they've gotten off track. They may think they're doing the work of God, but they're missing what they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, that is probably true. Let me just take independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptists. I think sometimes we've just swerved. We've gotten ourselves because we're not on these three major things in this right atmosphere. We've lost our, our sight on those touch points, on those, on those guiding stars and that are supposed to be fighting this battle. We have swerved away. Look on, he says this. He says, from which some having swerved, and as a result, they've turned aside. And the idea of a certain decide, they've gotten on a, sort of like if you look at a train and the switch has uh, switches, uh, fallen and now they've just been side railed. They've been marginalized. They're not any longer on the right team. They've been sidelined. They've, they've swerved and now they're off on some tangent, helpless, worthless. Often when this gets to a high point, I think of a person out in a football field like our football field. And the guy's really you know, a good player, and he's going to determine, and he, he gets the next play, he's going to get the ball. And as he gets the ball, somebody whacks him and pushes him around, and he gets whacked in the head. And next thing you know, he's not thinking, and he gets turned around, and now he's running the wrong way as hard as he can. But he swerved. He's aiming the wrong, at the wrong goals. And he's not doing the work of the team. He's not doing the work of God any longer. Even though you might call him good Christian, good pastor, good Sunday school teacher, Mr. Ha, ha, you know, Mr. Deacon, but he's not doing the work of the Lord. He swerved. And he's missing. And this is what Paul's a, he, he's talking to this young preacher boy. You have a job to do it, and you've been charged to do it, but be careful that you do it God's way. And you keep these touchstones in your life. Look at uh, uh, 
Look at what happens when he does that. He says in verse 6, from which some having swerved have turned aside, and that last part is so descriptive, unto vain jangling. And the word there, vain jangling, is this random words that nobody can understand, no impact. When I think of vain jangling in the English, I think of years ago when that was real popular, all the hippie things were coming out, and you know, all the girls were wearing fringe hanging off here, their hair down to their ankles, and you know, they're wearing sweaters down to their knees. And then they get these bracelets that were 42 you know, inches big, and they put them around. And you could hear them coming down the stairs. I mean, they'd get about 15 girls all wearing those things. It's like, like a Christmas ringer outside of the, you know, outside of the store. They're coming vain dangling. And this is the idea here. They're just a bunch of noise. But they're not really doing the work of God. And I wonder if the Lord were to look on, and this is not a blanket condemnation, but if you turn on the average TV network on channel 14, 22, all those things, I wonder how much of that is truly just vain jangling. And I wonder how much, even within our fundamental ranks, for all the noise we make, it's just turned into empty words that are a bunch of babble, but it's not really getting the work of God done. Look at 1 Timothy 1.18, please. We're going to sort of jump a little bit. This charge, and that word charge is a word that means a mandate or a command. I commit. He says, I lay this charge alongside. When you commit it to somebody, this has been laid to you to do. I charge and commit you, son Timothy, according to all the prophecies, and this will be the, the, the laying down into the office of a pastorate. He says that thou mightest by them war a good warfare. And that idea of war is to contend or to strategize. The youth group likes to play uh, some of the games that are sort of these kind of things. And one of them is called um, Capture the Flag. Anybody ever play Capture the Flag? I see about five people. I thought there'd be more people than that. Okay. Capture the flag, you end up with two teams, and you got a no man's man in the middle. You have a flag that you hide on that side and a flag that you hide on that side. And both teams strategize. And they work and work. And you could capture the jail on each side. You capture people, and they get held. And somebody has to sneak across and get people out of the jail to get them back. They have to tag them. And all these, these strategies. And, of course, you're, you want to take your, your fastest runner to keep him protected. But you have these little workers you're trying to sacrifice like pawns in a, in a chess game, you know, to sort of divert. But you're all the time looking for the flag. You haven't found the flag yet. You've got to find the flag. Once you find the flag, you still haven't won. You've got to get that flag and bring it back across the line. So there's a bunch of strategies that go on. Okay? That's the idea of here that you might war, that you might strategize a strategy, a war, that you might war a warfare. We strategize God's warfare God's way. And so let's take the next verse, then verse 18. That thou mightest war a good wherefore, holding, notice two of the things are emphasized that we already studied. Holding, first of all, what? Faith. What's the second thing? And a good conscience. 
I'm not going to re-preach on those, but you notice he's saying if you're going to fight God's battle, you've got to fight the God's battle God's way. You cannot, and he emphasizes two of the things here. He says you've got to, especially, he, he drills down on the idea that you have to have genuine faith convictions, what you believe. And then second of all, you've got to have a good conscience. Could these be the two areas especially that we need to look at ourselves? Can I ask you a question? Do you know what you believe and why you believe it sincerely? And is your life reflective of what you say you believe with all your heart? I think that's a pretty fair thing to ask of somebody in God's battle. But I think we would be amazed tonight how many people don't know what they believe from the Word of God and then those that do that are not living it. And yet they pretend they're in the battle. They're not strategizing the warfare God's way. And so I would challenge you. This is what Paul's teaching this young preacher boy. Look what happens, he says in verse 19, if you don't do it God's way. Holding faith, good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made a shipwreck. Now, here we find a little different step. Somebody has started out in the right way, but here it doesn't say they swerve. It says they've put away. And let me tell you in the Greek what that idea of put away is. They purposely threw it away. They knew it, but they stepped out of it. And can I tell you, I run into people all the time that I knew, know that knew what they believed, got tired of the battle, and they just threw what they knew was right away, and they went on, still saying they're fighting God's work. What, and, he, and he says here, the result is they've made shipwreck. And the idea of shipwreck here is their boat has just come up on dry land, and they're not going to go anywhere. They're out of the game. They're worthless. It's like the little pawn on the side of the board. It's not coming back in the game. They're out. Why? Because they didn't have a true conscience and they didn't have real faith. And they had it at one point, but they put aside their conscience or they put aside their convictions. And this is what you see many times in people's lives. I'm just tired of having these convictions. Or sin has really pulled on my, on my heart and I've allowed myself to get in and I don't, and I'm not, and, and so I put away my convictions and I put away my faith and I put away my pure conscience and I keep operating, but I'm just like a ship in God's battle, just up on high land, worthless, stranded. And you can't even do anything for God. And then he mentions two fellows here that that's happened. Now, if I took the time, we would go through the whole book. But let me tell you what, what happens in the rest of the book. In chapter 2, he says, Timothy, your first weapon to make sure this, this stays true in your life is prayer. Is prayer. Pray over these things. You know, if I want to keep a good heart, a good conscience, and a right spirit of love, and I keep myself in prayer before, well, God's going to soften my heart and direct me. Chapter 3, he says, you've got to stay qualified. And if you look at chapter 3, it has to do with 
how a pastor is qualified, how a deacon's qualified, and all the different things that qualify us. In chapter 4, he says, the Spirit speaketh expressly. You've got to do the things of the Spirit. And he says this, be careful, because there are seducing spirits. So then he gives them the answer by the end of the chapter. He says, so you've got to stay in your Bible and you've got to keep reading on it and you've got to keep your own self pure because if you don't keep yourself pure, you're out of the game. So you have to keep your conviction sharpened. What does any good soldier do with his weapon? He's continually cleaning it, practicing with it. He knows how to fire. This is chapter 4. The Spirit speaketh expressly. There are those that would get you off. You've got to keep yourself, your weapons and warfare clean, sharpened, and focused. In chapter 5, he says you've got to keep a right spirit. And he talks about don't rebuke an elder. How do you treat servants? How does an older woman, a younger person? He goes through and talks about the right protocols for serving the Lord and not a fleshy way, not a mean way, not an ungentlemanly way. And then chapter 6, I'd like you to turn there, and we'll look at this for just a moment. He ends with this challenge. Look at verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Could I suggest to you that one of the things that Satan does to get into our convictions and our mind and our battle is to make us discontent where we are? He makes us discontent. Discontent with what I'm doing in the church, discontent with my life, discontent with what I have in my life, and somehow that can cause us to swerve, can cause us to put away. Next thing we know, we're like a ship over here, grounded and out of God's will. Look at verse 12. Fight the good fight. This is how he's ending the chapter. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called. He said, stay in the battle. Fight. Stay focused. Don't get your eyes on the things in the world. This world's not our home. And stick with the battle. Look at verse 14. That thou keep this commandment. What commandment? This idea of doing it God's way and staying focused, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, how long? Are you with me in verse 14? How long? Until the hearing of our Lord Jesus, appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. When is our work done? When Jesus comes back or he takes us home. And our charge is to be without spot, unrebukable, on deck, doing the work of God. This is our charge. This is our mandate. This is our command from on high. I just wanted to give a big picture of the book of 1 Timothy. Um, we've got a job to do. Would we all agree with that? But we've got to do it God's way. What's the operating theater? Love, right motives, right conscience, and right convictions. And if we swerve or set aside purposely, we're going to end up either being a bunch of vain jangling or we're going to be a ship up on the edge doing nothing. The Lord says, keep these commands. 
without spot, unrebukable, until I come back or until I take you off. Where are you at on these things? Do you have a pure conscience? Do you know what you believe? Do you have your convictions down? Do you like to argue because you like to argue, or are you really a person that's operating in the realm of true heart, pure love? To me, these things are um, they're very fundamental to a person staying focused in the battle. That's why I bring this message not on Sunday morning or Sunday night. I bring it to the crew that really sort of got the extra little, we say we're in there. But I wonder tonight, where would, how would you grade yourself on these things? We often say a person can't get saved until they first realize they are a sinner. We will never improve in our ability to make an impact in this world until we realize our shortcomings in these areas and we improve. What are your convictions like? What's your conscience like? What's your heart like? Heavenly Father, Help us tonight to receive the challenge of these things that you've given us. In Jesus' name.